Let me invite you this morning to find your sermon notes and follow along as we go. More importantly, to live out the message this week, talk about it. You have a lot of questions here to lead your discussion as you do that. So we are in the end of Epiphany season. Epiphany is that season where we hear about uh, the works of Jesus and then live out what we hear. So we are reflectors of the light of Jesus Christ. And in just a couple of weeks then we begin Lent with Ash Wednesday. But today what I would like to do is go back to Christmas. Go back to Christmas to help us answer a couple of questions as we go through the Bible. So think with me that uh, this is all not green, but, but white or, or even blue yet with, with Advent. We have the Christmas tree over here. We have the nativity scene with the manger and, and Jesus. And think children's program. So everything is getting reenacted. So there was a boy named Ralph. Ralph wanted to be Joseph because in the Christmas pageant, all the boys want to be Joseph, just like all the girls want to be Mary, right? But he was passed over for the part, and instead, he would be the lowly innkeeper. So, Ralph decides that during the pageant, because he was passed over, he would seek a little revenge. You can imagine what's coming, right? So here's Ralph, Mary, and Joseph. They are coming into the, into the inn, and they knock on the door... Ralph, the innkeeper, opens it up. They ask if there is room, and he says, Come on in, there's plenty of room. <laughs> there's his revenge. Well, of course, his mother about has a coronary right on the spot. The director quits, but Mary and Joseph, well, Joseph in particular, he is not taken aback, and he says, without missing a beat at all, he says, This place is a dump. We'd rather stay in the stable. So... The truth is, the world was a dump, and it still is, isn't it? We live in a, in a cruel and evil world. Certainly at that time, Rome was in power. They were oppressors of the people. The taxes were outrageous. The Roman soldiers would just as soon strike you down with a sword as look at you. And people, because they were so wrapped up in their own survival, really could care less about anyone else. Immorality was rampant. Fidelity in marriage was rare. People would take advantage of one another, selling things that were weights that were always in the merchant's favor. It was a terrible place to live. And so we ask that question, the two for today. The first one, why did Jesus come? Why would he leave the holiness and the glory of heaven to come down to this dump, this dirty, this sin-infested world we call earth? Well, one reason in particular, and that is to show that God is a God of love. He has always been a God of love, and that is the message of the Bible. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the judgment because God is also just that we forget that he is first and foremost a God of love. He created the world in the first place because he loved humans, humans that were only in his imagination. 
We're not yet real. And so he created this universe and this earth for us to enjoy. He put Adam and Eve in paradise in the garden out of love. So many people today view God as a cosmic cop, someone just there to to punish us when we go wrong. He is a wrathful ruler. He is a stern judge without any grace or mercy whatsoever. It's kind of like the analogy, which I think works pretty well, of an aquarium. Now, when I was in Atlanta, I had an aquarium in my house, and I liked, I liked fish. I just had freshwater fish, but I would go to this restaurant every now and then. It had a huge saltwater aquarium. I mean, I would go, not just for the food, but just so I could watch the fish. I mean, they would just swim around. They were huge, and they were all kinds of different colors. If you ever wondered about creation, that, that there is a God, all you had to do was look at all these fish, and you would know immediately that only God out of his grace, could have made it. So I'd go and I'd watch, and the fish would swim around, and all the bubbles would come up. Now, do you think, with such a magnificent place to live, with an owner that made sure that they were always fed regularly, who would make sure that there wasn't too much ammonia or nitrates there in the water, who would make sure that it wasn't contaminated but was always filtered correctly, to make sure that there was the right amount of oxygen, even put vitamins and sulfa drugs to make sure that there were no infections. Do you think that those fish would love the owner? You would think, wouldn't they? But you know what happens whenever any human comes in front of an aquarium? They dart away, don't they? Out of fear. To them, the owner is, is, is a god of, of such gargantuan proportions. He is so frightening to them that he only elicits fear. We have a god of love, yet we are so often frightened of him and his judgment. And so he sent that little baby 2,000 years ago, wrapped in swaddling clothes, this innocent, this helpless little baby to show that God is indeed a God of love. We have here in our text for today these words, the word, which is Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We sometimes forget Jesus is God. He's always been God. He was God before the world was even created. And now he comes in the flesh. We have seen his glory. We've seen his miracles. Turn the water into wine. He raises Lazarus from the grave. He heals all of these people. And then, of course, the culmination, he rises himself from the dead. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came so that we could see that God loves us. He became a person so that he could communicate in our language, so that he could hurt as we do, so that he could 
feel as we do, so that we would learn to trust him, to come to him with all of our needs. Now, here in, in the English, it says he made his dwelling, but in the Greek, it really means that he pitched a tent. So, do we have any campers? Campers? Do you do, you do the real camping, like with, with a tent? No, me either. It's Holiday Inn is camping for me. But any, Anybody, like, do a real tent, you know, pitch the tent, like in Boy Scouts? Have any Boy Scouts? You know, okay, pitch the tent, right? So, I mean, that takes a lot of work, right? Okay. Now, how long do you go camping? A year? No. A month? No. Maybe a week? A day, that would be me, right, right. At my uh, church in, uh, in St. Louis, we did a, a community camp out. I mean, it was just an afternoon. I mean, the, the entertainment was watching pastor put up his tent, right? I'm not very good at this. So a day, may, maybe a couple days, maybe a week if you're really hardy. But that's it because it's temporary, right? It's temporary. You go back and you live in your house. God came down to the earth and pitched his tent, it says, so that we could learn his love, simply through his presence. Now let's go back all the way to the very beginning. We're going through the Bible here, so we go back to the very beginning. When were people the closest to God? Not a trick question. When were people closest to God? In the very beginning, Adam and Eve, where were they? In the garden. And every day they're walking with God. He's right there, present with them. They're talking with God every single day. They're closest to God when they are closest to God. But what happens? We know the fall, the sin. They're kicked out. There is judgment. So is God still with them? Say yes. Yes. Yes, he is. He still loves them. After all the promise that one day the curse of sin would be reversed. The head of Satan and evil would be crushed by the offspring of Eve. So God goes with them. But as time goes by, they lose touch with God. By the time that Moses comes around, they don't even remember his name. God's people don't even know his name. They've lost touch. And he says, I am, that is who I am, and I will show you my presence first in the fire that goes before you, and then in, in the cloud, and I will lead the way, and I will defeat your enemies, and we will camp out, literally. They had a tent, the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. We'll camp out, and you'll know that I am there because of the fire and the cloud. They were the closest to God when they were there in that tent. And now, God comes once and for all. So that all of his people, not just the people of Israel, not just those chosen people, but all people could know that he is a God of love and that he goes with us. And we see his presence, not in a cloud, not in the fire, but in a human who is Jesus. So that's the first reason God came down from heaven to earth to show that he indeed is a God of love. But also, sin, that thing that got us in trouble in the first place, 
needs to be confronted once and for all and finally defeated. So let me ask you a question. How many of you wish that the world was all good? Raise your hand. Wouldn't that be nice? Love and peace and joy and sunshine and rainbows and bunnies. That would all be nice, wouldn't it? Is that the way it is? We know it is not. There is this thing called sin and there is evil. Now, wouldn't it be great? You can raise your hand again. Wouldn't it be great if God would just say, okay, I'm going to get rid of all of that. Raise your hand. Yes, that would be great. Now, here's the problem. Here's the bind, if you will. If God gets rid of all the sin and the evil out there, it means that he also needs to get rid of the sin and evil in here. Didn't we confess earlier that we were sinners? I think we did, in case you forgot. So God would have to get rid of everybody. You and me and everyone. And that would not be so good for us. So this is God's plan to get rid of sin and evil. He would become sin for us. So Jesus becomes human. Though he is perfect, though he is the only one with righteousness, being right with God, the only one who is pure, he makes us pure by becoming our sin and putting it all to death on the cross, dying in our place. For God alone has the power to confront and defeat sin. And he has done that through his son through the death on the cross and the blood that is shed. You go back to the Old Testament again through the Bible. If you remember there at Mount Sinai where Moses is instructed to build this tabernacle, God says, that is where you will see my presence, my glory in the cloud and in the fire. But if you are there without a buffer, you will surely die because my glory is so great. And so no one could see God face to face. But he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make a buffer and we'll do that through the sacrifice, the shedding of blood. And so there was this elaborate system of sacrifice of all the animals, which you can read about in the Old Testament. But all of this, God said, is simply to point to the Lamb of God. For an animal is not sufficient to fully pay for the sins of human beings. But the blood of God surely is. Only Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities, only his punishment could bring us that peace and love and joy and justice that we so desire. And so it is by his wounds that we are not only healed, but we are forgiven, which is the greatest malady that we ever had, this disease called sin. So Jesus came to show that we have a God of love and to confront and defeat sin. So the only question then is, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> What's your response? What's our response as a church and as Christian. Well, first of all, humble yourself. Okay, now this is going to be fun. Point to the person next to you and say, you are a dirty, rotten sinner. Can you do that? Yeah. 
I mean, it's true, right? We said that earlier. Now, you don't have to get real personal. Don't go into all the details here. This is church yet, right? I'm a dirty, rotten sinner too. See, we're, we're no better than anyone else. We're no better than all those other dirty, rotten sinners out there who don't call themselves Christians. The only difference is we are redeemed. We're chosen by God. Christ's blood is shed for everyone because we're all dirty, rotten sinners. But God has chosen us to be his people, to be a child. So let's humble ourselves first of all and admit that we are sinners. No better than anyone else by our own virtue, but only because of God's grace. Now, Paul, what he does in the New Testament, especially in the book of Ephesians, he writes to the people of Ephesus who have no idea about adoption because that is not a Jewish practice. It's not found in the Old Testament at all. It's not even in the Gospels, only in Paul's letters. Because he's a Roman and he understands that if you're adopted, then you receive all the legal rights of an heir. Now, I know a little bit about adoption because we have adopted Philip. And even before that, my grandmother was adopted. So I have all of these adoption stories. <laughs> I'll share one this morning to give us an idea again of how this works. So there was a family, let's call them the Carter family, all right? So there was a family named the Carters in the mom, she was a teacher. She was a fourth grade teacher in school. And one day she had a, well, at the beginning of school, all the kids come, new kid, and his name is Jeremy. Like all the rest of them, he gives his story. And he says, my name is Jeremy, and I do not have a family. And it was true. His mother had abandoned him. He had only seen her three times in his entire life. And all of those were when they were in court and she was fighting Jeremy's adoption. When Mrs. Carter saw Jeremy and she heard his story, when he said, my name is Jeremy and I do not have a family and I will never be loved, he said, because I'm too old. Her heart broke. And she started that process of trying to adopt him. It took all year, and then by the end of the year, finally, the Carter family was able to adopt Jeremy. And you know what he said at the end of the year? He said, my name is Jeremy. At the beginning of the year, I was a nobody, but now I'm a Carter. <laughs> now I'm a Carter. We could say as well, we were nobody. We were filled with sin. We were literally an enemy of God. We were nothing, but then God made us his child. And we have received all the rights and all the blessings of an heir. We are a brother and a sister with Jesus himself. And all the rights and privileges that he has as the Son of God are also now given 
to us. There is forgiveness. There is new life. There is salvation. We have all the treasures of heaven poured out on us already to enjoy here on earth. So we humble ourselves as a child of God. And then we live like those children. Verse 7 says this in our text, John came as a witness to testify concerning that light, which is Jesus, so that through him all people might believe. John says, I'm not the light, but I'm here to reflect the light. And that is our role as well as the children of God. We are to be that salt and we are to be that light. Living as the children of God. So I close with this many years ago. Mother Teresa, you may remember her. She was doing a conference here in the United States. And she spoke to a large group of people. Many of them were Catholic. Many of them were sisters. They were nuns. And afterward, of course, there's always questions. So she was answering the questions. And it was at a time when many people were leaving not only the church, but also uh, the sisterhood. So one of those nuns asked her, she said, Mother, you know, why is your order gaining so much in numbers? And so many others are not. We're losing so many people. And she said, well, it's very simple. I give them Jesus. Well, yeah, 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 we know that, we understand that, but, you know, you're doing great work over there in India, but, but you know, what about what you wear, the habits? Is that outdated? Is that the problem? Should we change that? And she says, no, I, I, just, I just give them Jesus. Well, yeah, okay, but what about, you know, the rules? Should we change the rules? Do you think that would attract more people into the order? And she says, no, I, I give them Jesus. Well, I understand that, but you know, I, want, I want you to be more specific. I give them Jesus. Well, isn't there anything else? I, I give them Jesus, she says. And there is nothing else. What is our response? <laughs> Humble ourselves. For on our own we are condemned to death. We are dirty, rotten sinners. But by the grace of God we have been redeemed. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus. We are his children. And we are called to be salt and light. To live out who we are as the people of God, so that others might know him as well. How do you do that? Just give them Jesus, and they will know. Amen. Let's all rise and make our